Very cool. Well, hey, um, seems like I kind of read a lot. I wouldn't say it's like I've always been that person known for reading. I used to make fun of people who would always say like, oh, the book is so much better than the movie. I'm like, you know, shut up, geek, whatever. Like, um, but somehow, I, um, I don't ever read fiction. You know, if I want to be entertained, I, w- I would still watch a movie over read a book. Um, but I love learning. I love hearing other people's ideas. I love, in a way, being um, mentored by Charles Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller by their books. So I read a lot of things, and recently I was reading a book talking about church stuff, but he said that God's people are... We are acting most like God's people when we have God's word open and we're open to the application of it. And I just, I just was struck by that. Like, we are being God's people the most, not when we are playing a silly game, not even singing together, but when we, have, when we all have God's word open together and we're eager to learn it, to study it, to apply it, to believe it, to sing it, to pray it. That's when we are mostly being God's people. Um, so I want you guys to know, like, just, I look forward to opening up the Bible. It is always my, my treasure and delight. Psalm 66, I did not decide on Friday, um, like, which psalm am I going to preach on? You know, and in uh, kind of like a Monday and Tuesday, there's, there's a few psalms that I'm like, okay, which order do I want to go in? But I, I kind of have a list of psalms I know I want to teach on. But like when I pick Psalm 66, I begin to read it over and over again. I read it in different translations. And uh, I start studying it. And I think about it. And I'm honking at old people. And I'm thinking about this phrase, come and hear, come and see. And uh, it's something so special that I, I look forward to um, with you guys every Sunday night of bringing this. So whether there's uh, 2 or 20 or, or 30 or however many there are tonight, I just I love this. Um, I have the best job in the world. So Psalm 66. Sorry, that was all just me saying whatever. Nothing to do with Psalm 66. I read a New York Times article and it said that the median distance that most Americans live away from their mother is 18 miles. Now don't get me wrong, like there are plenty of people, myself included, to where I do not live 18 miles away from my, my mother. And you know, sometimes people, you know, they go to school, they go to the military, they do whatever and they live far away. But they, this article was making the case that most people at some point in their life end up living or settling down, planting roots within 60 miles of where they were born, <coughs> where they were raised. And I thought that was interesting. Most Americans, like the, the average, if you average it all out, 18 miles is the distance between you and your, and your mom. See, something about that tells me that like, it's a human tendency to always come back again and again to your own culture. When you go to college, more than likely you will find people who are like you. Okay? When um, I was, again, I was gone this last weekend and I ran to some couple and they were Christians and I told them I was a youth pastor in Olympia. They're like, oh wow, what an interesting ministry. Wow, that's, wow. 
I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, downtown's a little weird at times, but like, I was thinking about the people at Hope, like, other than them, like, other than them loving the Seahawks, like, I don't see myself too much different than them. You know, it's not some crazy, you guys are in some crazy, like, ministry where I have to, like, you know, like, a lot of ways I see you guys and think of myself in high school. I was just like you. And uh, there's something about that, how even um, when you start a business or you plan a church, they always kind of say this phrase, you attract who you are, you know. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is that, you know, we are drawn to familiarity, to things that are regular and routine, and we like that. And we like coming home for Christmas at college. We like the traditions that our families have. But the danger sometimes of being so one-town-minded or one-cultural-minded is that we forget that there's a whole other world of cultures and traditions and people and languages. And I say all this because at one time there's this guy named John Stott who was a big theologian pastor in England. And he went to some tribe, nation, uh, I want to say somewhere in Africa. And he went to a Christian church and he visited this church. And he, he said that every announcement, every prayer request, every application to a sermon all had to do with that one village. And he said something struck him about that. Everything revolved around that one village. And what he said is that God is not just the God of that village, but he's the God of the world. The danger of, of being in, you know, say you're born and raised in Olympia, maybe you go to college somewhere else one day and you come back and you raise kids in Olympia and you retire in Olympia, or say in this general area, the Puget Sound area. The danger is that you begin to think that how Hope Community Church does church is the way. And we kind of form idols of our culture. You'll notice that a lot in liberal type of thinking. That they think that their culture is superior to any other culture. I mean, in one sense, every culture is biased. The way we do things... <laughs> there it is. Okay. Riley called it. The way we do things is always going to have some type of routine in us. But the, the challenge is to, when we go to Mexico, like last year, we see how they worship. We see how people experience the Lord. We see how they pray. And we see how they have community. And that's really important because the challenge is that being too centered, being too close to mom your entire life is ultimately you begin to have a narrow view of who God is and what he's working. Let me illustrate this one other time. So one can say, maybe, church growth church attendance and conversions in the area of Olympia, Tumwater, Lacey is down. Therefore, they can say, man, it just seems like God isn't really doing as much as it used to. You know, you, you kind of look and, and you see um, stagnant, you know, churches. You see a kind of decline in church attendance. You see a decline in adult baptisms and all of the churches in the area. And you kind of say, man, like, what's going on? But God could be in Asia, South America, bringing thousands or millions to himself. But because we are so localized to our own 
culture, we might think that God is a certain way all the time. <laughs> Funny, like, I do this at times. I was in Chicago, they call this polar vortex. It was like negative 16, all right? Like, the one and only thing I wanted to put on Facebook is global warming, yeah, right, you know? But again, what am I doing? I'm taking my own personal, cultural, you know, limitations, and I'm, I'm assuming that it's like that the rest of the world. Psalm 66 helps us to think outside of what God is doing, not just here in this youth group or in this church or in this city or in this state or in this country, but Psalm 66 forces us to think about who is the God of everything and why should he be praised? So, if you notice in Psalm 66, if you're looking at it, there are five different stanzas, but I kind of want to divide it up into three different calls. And what I mean by calls is kind of like um, you're called into action, right? You're being asked to do something. So Psalm 66 helps us see this God who should be praised, not just in this youth group, not just in this city, not just in this country, but the whole world. So look down, you see the first call in verses 1 through 4. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. So if you notice right there, the first thing is the call for the whole earth to worship God. More than likely, David is writing this psalm. He's not saying, hey, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, hey, Christians, praise God. But he says, all people, all the earth, praise God. He doesn't want his own village to just praise God. He wants every nation, tribe, and tongue to praise God. You see, sometimes we do care about other people in our culture, right? So there's like commercials I see where it's like some poor, honestly, most of the time it's a little black kid. And maybe he's malnourished. Looks like he's starving or he's thirsty. And there's this World Vision commercial, and it says, hey, give money. And you, know, you care about the poor, starving African kid, right? And uh, I'm sure that every time that commercial airs, they get like a huge surge in giving. Like, one does not have to go far as looking at statistics and looking at, you know, I heard something recently, 30,000 children die a day of preventable diseases. 30,000. Do you know how many that adds up to a year? 10 million? 10 million children die a year of preventable diseases in the world? It is said that there's about 2.2 billion people who have never heard the gospel and who probably never will. You see, you can look at all the bad things in the world and say, man, we, we, yeah, I want all of the earth to know God. Look at what's happening. 
Look at all the evil. Look at all the destruction. Look at all the diseases. Look at all these people who don't know Jesus. And, and we can easily, we can look and see what is happening and say, yes, I want everyone to know Jesus. I want, I want world vision and I want, you know, what's the other one? Uh, sponsor kid, Compassion. Sponsor all these kids. But do you notice when the psalmist is saying he wants all the people to praise God, he doesn't point towards the fact that they need it. As in, he doesn't look towards all the preventable diseases or all the things that would help him. But why does he want all of the people to praise God? Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. You see, David here points towards the awe and wonder of God. The only person who can create, order, and sustain all of existence out of nothing. God can create anything just out of his spoken word. He is the God who, when I was at the beach last night at midnight, and I could hear the waves, and there was clouds, but there was really bright stars as well. I think of that God. And David is trying to say, like, listen, listen, listen. I don't want all the people to praise God just because they need to, but because of how great God is. His reputation. Seeing the glory of his name. Like he has a reputation that is far above anyone else. People of the earth praise God because he's worthy of it. He's not trying to appeal because of all these things that are happening, but only because of the greatness, the glory, the awe, and the wonder of this God that we serve. Sometimes it's important to look at the very beginning of a psalm. If you look, starting at verse 66, it says, To the choir master a what? Song. This is what's really cool. This is the song of David. David's song is that he wants every single person to worship God. Do you want that? Do you want every single person to worship God? Now, when you realize how great the Lord is, that you think, I don't want one single person to be living in rebellion to him this great God. That is David's song. That is, that is what his heart is beating for. I want everyone to see how great my God is. I think that one of the marks of a growing and mature Christian is that you begin to care for the spiritual well-being of all people, especially people outside of your own tribe. That's missions. Call for all the earth to worship God. So here's the first point, really, what he's saying. I want all people to worship God. That's what, that's what he's saying there. I want every people, I want everyone to sing how great God's deeds are. Why? Why? Why do we want everyone to worship God? Second call. A call to remember what God has done. Verses 5. We're going to read a little bit here. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, who eyes keep 
Watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. So if we are being told that we should be caring not just about people in our own tribe, in our own little circles, in our own family, but for all the people to praise God, why? Why should we want people to praise God? Because of what God has done. See, what's fascinating here is David starts to retell the story of God's people. God's people were not a people who deserved any favor or kindness from God. And, you know, God kind of just randomly plucked Abraham, right? He said, boom, hey, I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. You're going to have the descendants, a number of the stars, all these great things. And Abraham has a few kids. And eventually they have a few more kids. And you have the story of Joseph and they land in Egypt. Does anyone know how long the Israelites were in Egypt for? In bondage? 400 years. That's a long time. Like, do you realize America hasn't even been a country for that long? For 400 years. And so even look at verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us up into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. And what he's saying there is at one point, God allowed his people to go through slavery. To have the crushing weight of being under someone. You know, sometimes we may have rough goes at life. You might come from a, um, a family with some issues. You might compare your life is like to someone else and you might say, man, they have it really easy. But you see what was God, God was doing with his people? He put them under 400 years under the yoke of slavery in order to bring them to the point or he could save them and redeem them. You know, every single one of you are here and you are, you are who you are because of all the things that God has allowed to have in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the whole thing. And God has... Sometimes he tests us. He tries us like silver. He brings us into the net. He lays a crushing burden on our backs. He lets men ride over our heads in order to what? To save us. So what David is doing, he's describing the process of redemption. The Israelites were there for 400 years. And then there's this old dude named Moses who's 80. He was a shepherd doing his own thing, you know. And God says, no, hey, I want you to come and rescue my people. He's like, dude, I'm not like that. I don't talk. Well, hey, because I am who I am, you're going to go and do it. And he does this, and he does like the ten plagues, right? And he finally lets the people go. Pharaoh says, fine, take the Israelites, leave. And then what happens? When they leave, they say, hey, Moses, we want to go back. We had pots of meat. We had a place to stay. We, we had a life there, but you're just taking us out in the wilderness to suffer and to die. You know what God says to them? He says, be still, which really means 
hush up. And remember he sends the pillar cloud and the pillar of fire by night. And what happens? The Egyptians say, oh wait, we liked having those people. And they go and chase them. And they come up to the Red Sea. And right there, he says right there, he turned the sea into dry land. That's what God's people went through. And here's the best picture. The Egyptians went through. And God covered their enemies so that they can see them no more. And he brought them out. And he redeemed them. And he saved them. And he destroyed their enemies. And David is saying, for the heart of the Israelite, this is why we praise God. This is why we boast that all people should praise God. Because he has redeemed for himself a people to praise him. They pass through the river on foot. So if you know the story a little more, what happens? They make it up there and uh, they do some really bad things. They make a golden calf. They murmur. They say things about God. For 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. And a whole generation passes off. And finally, it comes to the point to where they can enter the promised land. The land flowing of milk and honey. And this huge river is stopping them. What happens? All the elders line up and they stop the river and they walk through it. And God tells every single elder to pick up a rock in the middle of that river and to right there set up a, a sanctuary to remember what the Lord has done. And they got to enter into the promised land. They got to enter into the rest. And see, that is a picture of everything that we have as Christians. We were under the slavery of death and of sin, but God provided his son Jesus who has crushed our enemy, who has covered them so we can see them no more. And we are now in this turmoil and this struggle of trying to make it to the promised land. Why should I care about people outside my own tribe, my own city, my own church? My own family. You know, I, I saw a picture in college. It was like, uh, some, I don't know how they did it, but they surveyed every face in the world. And they wanted to come up with, what does the most average man on earth look like? He looked Asian. He did. But I think about that face sometimes. Just generally man. God sees all of them. Why should I care about all of them? Because God provided his son in order to redeem himself a people, to praise his name. When we sing, like we just did a few minutes ago, and what we'll do in a few minutes, this is why. We are telling God, we are reminding ourselves of what he has done for us. The purpose to sing, the purpose to worship. Like right now, David is singing a song. And what is he doing in his song? He is retelling the story of redemption. Somehow when I think of some of those Caleb songs, I'm not sold quite on what they're singing about. 
David wants all people to worship God. Why? Because of the great acts of God. And here's where we kind of maybe um, a phrase that we would say where the rubber meets the road. The call to do something. The call to do something. So verses 13 through 20, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. So a few things here. And uh, I purposely kind of haven't been saying a few words, but this psalm, I believe, is the song of every Christian and is the song of every missionary. That when we come to see the great, awe-inspiring God whom we serve and how he has redeemed us through what his son did on the cross, we can't help but desire to see every single person worship him and David says because of this great God because of what he's done in redemption I am actually going to perform the vows that I have any of you here ever made a promise to God and then not done it oh man oh man yeah I, I've, I've done that a few times but David here says I'm going to come he's like well I'm going to worship I'm actually going to come and I'm going to do this, God. And if you notice, here's a few details. At the very end of 15, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. I don't think any of you are the agricultural kind. But still to this day, like, um, I'll meet friends every once in a while who like, yeah, we had a quarter of a cow slaughtered. And uh, they get to keep all the meat. But think of, like, does anyone here know how much a bull costs compared to other livestock? <coughs> Tons of money. Super expensive. And even back here, in, in, um, in Israelite time, bulls and goats were the most expensive sacrifice. And do you know what David is saying? I am, God, am going to give you all of my worship. When it comes to the task of helping all people in the world coming to praise God, so let me contextualize a little bit. What are you willing to offer God? So none of you like here have like, you might have a part-time job, which is great, awesome, but like consistently, um, like none of you have a career job yet. Most of you probably don't make any money at all. But I'm sure at times you guys do make money. And I think a way in which we can honor missions and missionaries and this call to let all the people come to know God is by giving to missions. I, I sometimes I get guilty about when I think about the things that I spend money on. Golf. At one point, Clash of Clans. 
I'm just saying there's other good things there, you know, I buy things for my kids and I buy diapers and, okay, yeah, like that, need that stuff, not bad, food. But I see David here. He says, this call to tell all people about the gracious acts of God means that I need to do something. And you see that his doing something was really expensive. And I just wonder if, if any of us here are willing to give of not just our prayers or our well-intentioned thoughts, but actually support missions in a financial way. But he actually goes on, right? Verse 16. I love this part. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and his praise is on my tongue. You see, something I think that we all have, if we are Christians, is we all have our personal testimony. This is a David Crowder band song about this psalm. It says, come and listen. Come and listen. Do you realize that if you are a Christian, this is you? That I was under the yoke of my sin? I was in bondage. I was in slavery. I could not save myself. I had no hope. But God graciously came to me. He provided a Savior. He crushed my enemies. He destroyed them so I can see them no more. Come. Come and hear what God has done for me. That is what David is saying here. He's saying, I have a reason to tell you about how great God is and why you should praise Him. All of this, I think, boils down to the next verse we're about to read. Let me say a quick word about that. David's song in his heart is the desire to see all men, women, and children worship God out of a right heart, out of a love for what he has done through redemption. And do you know how David has the confidence to know that he can have this relationship with God? Look down at verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Iniquity is another word for sin. If I would have cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. for a second. Charles Spurgeon, on this psalm, says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, if having seen it to be there, I continue to gaze upon it without aversion, if I cherish it, have a side glance of love toward it, excuse it, and diminish it, the Lord will not hear me. You see, I think, and I don't, I don't want to say I think, the Bible teaches that if you want one evidence or one mark, one way to really know if, whether or not you praise the Lord and understand the story of redemption, do you know, do you know what it's going to be? Repentance. Repentance.
David says all of that expensive sacrifice that I just did, all of these prayers that I'm at giving, all of these calls to worship God, all of this remembering God's redemption. Maybe you can talk about limited atonement and substitutionary atonement and, and read all the books. And maybe you can say these well-rehearsed prayers. But if you by any mean ever look at sin with any love or with any hesitancy, It all means nothing. Do you know why? Do you know why Jesus had to come to this earth? Do you know why Jesus was beaten and put on a cross and died? It's because of your and mine sin. And therefore, to to look at the sacrifice that Christ did and why he had to come and still continue to look at sin like it's not a big deal shows that we don't really understand the story of redemption. To look at your sin after becoming a Christian and say it's not that big deal is for the Israelites to look at the Egyptians after after leaving Egypt and saying, Hey, we could still be friends, right? What did God do with their enemies? He sank them under the sea and destroyed them so they could see them no more. And David says, the heart of anyone who calls upon the Lord, and that's his heart, right? That's his song. is to see all people of all nations come to worship this God. It's to have a repentant heart. David could say with confidence, but truly God has listened. He has attended the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer. Removed his steadfast love from me. One of the marks of a genuine and mature Christian is that you learn to care about people outside of your own tribe. My, my plea to you guys, my, my, my um, desire for you is for you to grow in your understanding of who God is. God is not just the God of Olympia or Hope Community Church or Hope Community Youth Group. God is not just the God of the state of Washington. Like you want a good example of people who get a really bad rap of Attributing to God in a way that's so connected to their culture. Look to the South. God, guns, and beer. Patriotism. I mean, I was at a Cubs game, and I thought this guy was joking, but he wasn't. Just three things that matter in life. NASCAR, NASCAR, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart that man meant it. But to say that we don't do the same thing sometimes, I think, might be off. David's plea and desire. Like, listen, I, I hope that you hear the, the words that 2.2 billion people have never heard the gospel and it breaks your heart. But I hope more so that you look into the heart of God and see how great and awesome he is and just desire for everyone to see him. You want everyone to hear your story of redemption. And whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, or whether you talk a lot or you talk a little, if you are a Christian, you can do exactly what David does in which he says, 
Come near. Come and listen. And one of the goals for me as a pastor is to see you guys make it home safely. Right? Like that's my, that's my job. I want to see you guys live lives that you um, <coughs> say, like I've, I've finished the race. And you're going home to be with the Lord. But it should also be our desire to see as many people along the way do the same. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, encourage us to sing the song of David, Lord, that we would desire and care to see all people worship your name. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, God, that you have redeemed us. Lord, we have entered into your story, Lord. Our lives are not our own. We belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we hope to praise you all the days of our life, Lord. And Lord, I pray you give us the confidence to tell people our story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.